going back into the into Monbon Wood with Louis, my English setter, is a good experience. The ideal place for me to read you some more Wanderlust, A History of Walking by Rebecca Solnit. I'm reading this book and it increasingly feels like I'm going to read it from beginning to end, although it has over 300 pages and I've only reached page 64. But chapter 5 is called Labyrinths and Cadillacs. Labyrinths and Cadillacs. Walking into the realm of the symbolic. Well, now let's see what's in store. Walking into the realm of the symbolic. I'm walking into the realm of a a wood about eight or nine miles from where I live in Cork. Walking along a path which is unpaved. It's got loose stones. Stones deeply embedded in the in the soil, if you like, underneath my feet. Green grass to the right and left in the verges. This is a commercial wood. These evergreen trees are grown as crops. And they have, some of them have been cut down. There are some deciduous trees here. And this is what Rebecca Solnit has to say. I didn't mind not getting into the church at Chimayo, along with all the long, patient line of pilgrims, because I had another destination. The year before, I'd walked the last six or so miles of the pilgrimage, and later, trying to catch up with my friend who'd driven in, I walked past the Cadillac with the Stations of the Cross painted on it. I kept going after a cursory inspection, and then I did the world's slowest double take. A Cadillac with the 14 stations began during the interim between those two Good Fridays to see more and more extraordinary. A gorgeous compression of many symbolic languages and desires into one divinely strange chariot. My goodness. I grew up with the Stations of the Cross. And as Rebecca Solnit says, and some people won't know, there are 14 stopping points in the Stations of the Cross. And they're what happens from the beginning of Jesus Christ being being arrested right the way through till after he's crucified taken down from the cross and uh, put in a in a tomb and uh, if I remember rightly the stations of the cross do not include the resurrection but my memory is a little bit vague but usually what happens is that Roman Catholics and others who might also fancy it um, walk from station of the cross to the next station of the cross praying in their way, sometimes according to ritual, sometimes according to their own invention. So there we are. Anyway, uh, the thought that the Stations of the Cross would be painted on the side of a Cadillac is a very intriguing image. Anyway, where was I here? A Cadillac with the 14 stations began 
during the interim between the two Good Fridays to seem more and more extraordinary. A gorgeous compression of many symbolic languages and desires into one divinely strange chariot. Jerry said, in front of the Santo Nino Chapel, that it was just up the road a hundred yards, and so I limped off to see it again. Long and pale, blue and somehow soft-looking, as though the metal body were dissolving into velvet or veils, this 1976 Cadillac was a contrary thing. The stations of the cross were wrapped around its long, lean body, below the chrome line that bisected it horizontally. Jesus was condemned at the rear end of the driver's side and carried the cross, stumbled and encountered his way around the car to be crucified in the middle of the passenger's side next to the door handle. And he was buried at the back end of that side. All along those sides was painted a dark, grey sky full of lightning that made the place of his suffering into New Mexico with its volatile thunderclouds. There was Jesus again on the trunk as a big, soft, focused head with a crown of thorns flanked by angels, thorny roses, and the same kind of undulating ribbons that bear inscriptions in medieval and old Mexican religious paintings. The thorns everywhere seemed like further reminders that Chimayo and Jerusalem were both arid landscapes and the same thorny roses adorned the hood where Mary, the Sacred Heart, an angel and a centurion were. This car was designed to be looked at standing still, but it retained the possibility of moving. It didn't matter if the car ever went far, just that it could, that these images could hurtle down the highway, whipped by rain and drops of by wind and drops of rain running sideways. Imagine it doing seventy on the interstate, passing mesas and crumbling adobes and cattle and maybe some billboards for fake Indian trading posts, dairy queens and cheap motels, an eight cylinder Sistine Chapel turned inside out and speeding towards a stark horizon under changing skies. The artist, Arthur Medina, a slender, restless-looking man with wavy black hair, showed up while I was admiring it and leaned against the adjacent wooden shed to receive compliments and questions. Why a Cadillac? I asked, and he didn't seem to understand my premise that a luxury car is not the most natural and neutral thing on which to paint holy pictures. So I asked him why he painted the car with this subject matter, and he said, to give the people something for Lent. And he, indeed, he displayed it here every year. Now, Lent is a period, this is me, a period of 40 days. Immediately before the resurrection immediately before Easter Sunday. It begins, certainly for us here in Ireland, from Pancake Tuesday, which is your last chance to use up your sugar as you give up chocolate for, the, for Lent. 
Anyway, it's 40 days, like 40 days in the desert. That is so biblical a period, 40 days. Back to Rebecca. She, he had, he said, painted other cars and had an Elvis car. And then he darkly intimated that the other local artists, that other local artists were imitating him. It was true that another long 1970s car was parked near the statuario in front of a white painted adobe shop and that every shop was painted with perfect accuracy on the side of the car facing the street while the radiant image of the sanctuario itself covered the hood. This made it almost as dizzying a vehicle of meaning as Medina's car. A transformation of immobile place into speeding representations. But the tradition of customized lowrider cars goes back more than a quarter of a century in northern New Mexico. And this other car was painted much more professionally. Which is not to say that the Medina was a lesser artist, only that most such cars have an orthodox aesthetic that comes from a particular way of handling the airbrush. And Medina had made his fingers simpler and flatter and created a much more lushly misty atmosphere. You could say that most lowrider cars are baroque with a slightly cynical hyperreality of form, while Medina's had something of the flat, devout force of medieval painting about it. It was an extraordinary quixotic object, a car about walking, a luxury item about suffering, sacrifice and humiliation. And the car united two radically different walking traditions, one erotic and one religious. Customised cars exist both as art objects and as the vehicles for an updated version of an old Spanish and now Latin American custom, the paseo or corso. For hundreds of years, promenading the plaza in the centre of town has been a social custom in these places. One that allows young people to meet, flirt and stroll together and dictates that villages and cities from Antigua, Guatemala to Sonoma, California have a central plaza in which to do so. The more casual promenades of northern Europe take place in parks, quays and boulevards. In some parts of Mexico and elsewhere, the custom was once so formal that the men strolled in one direction and the women in the other. Like the indefinitely extended slopes of a line dance. But in most nowadays, the plaza is the site of less structured promenading. Of course, if the men are going in one direction and the women are going in the other, the women have a good view of men from the front and men have a good view of women women's fronts hmm interesting now where was I the promenade is a special subset of walking with an emphasis on slow stately movement socializing and display it is not a way of getting anywhere but a way of being somewhere and its movements are essentially circular, whether on foot or by car. 
During the days I was writing this, I ran into my brother Steve's friend Jose in Dolores Park after San Francisco's May Day Parade and asked him about the custom. At first he said he knew nothing about it, but as we talked, more and more came back to him and his eyes shone with the old memories flooding back in a new light in his hometown in Sanz, in El Salvador. The custom was called going around the park. The park meant the plaza at the centre of town. Mostly teenagers used the park for this socialising, in part because the small houses and warm weather made it uncomfortable to socialise at home, at least at that age. Girls didn't go to the park alone, so he was much in request as a sort of midget chaperone by his older sister and his three beautiful cousins. Many Saturday and Sunday evenings of his childhood were spent licking an ice cream cone and ignoring their conversations with boys. The paseo, like less structured courtship walks in other places, allows people to remain visibly in public but verbally in private, giving them enough room to talk and enough supervision to do little more. kind of psychological bonding, psychological touching, psychological grasping. Oh yes, good stuff. Back to Solnit. Nobody could afford to stay in the village, she said. And so the romances kindled during strolls in the park led to marriage. But when people came back home, they would go around the park again, not to meet people, but in reminiscence of this part of their life. Every small town and village in El Salvador and eventually Guatemala had some form of this custom. And the smaller the town, the more important it was for keeping people's sanity. Other versions of the pedestrian paseo exist in Spain, northern Italy and much of Latin America. The custom turns the world into a kind of ballroom and walking into a slow waltz. God, it reminds me of Catania in Sicily and what it was like to walk to promenade there in the evenings. It's hard to say how the customised car and the cruise came together, but the cruise is very much the successor to the Paseo or Corso, with the cars moving at promenade speed and the young people within flirting with and challenging each other. Miradel, my companion on the Chimayo pilgrimage, had in 1980 made one of her earliest series of photographs about New Mexico, a documentary project on slow riders. At the time, at that time, the subculture was booming and the cars would slowly cruise the old plaza at the centre of Santa Fe. Like low riders in most places, these ones met with the hostility of the civic authorities who turned the four streets around the plaza into a one-way roundabout and took other steps to ban the practice. But when Miradel's series was complete, she organised a show of her work in the plaza to which the low riders were invited and at which many of their cars were on display. By res- 
resituating them within the context of high art. She had reopened the space to them and introduced their work and world to the others in the region. It was the biggest art opening in Santa Fe history. Wow, it was the biggest art opening in Santa Fe history. With all kinds of people milling around the plaza to look at the cars, their photographs, and each other. An an art paseo. Though cruising came from the paseo, the car's imagery sometimes spoke of a very different tradition. In devout New Mexico, they bore far more religious imagery than, for example, lowrider cars in California. And Miradel came to see many of them as chapels, reliquaries, and because of the plush velvet upholstery, even caskets. They expressed the culture of young people who are both devout and hard partying as an indivisible whole, not a set of contradictions. And they expressed something of the centrality of the car in New Mexico, where sidewalks and roadside trails are often hard to find, and both rural and urban life are built around the car. Even on the pilgrimage, young riders cruised the road and did the occasional donut for us pedestrians. Still, I find it strange that the Paseo should have ceased to be a pedestrian event and become a vehicular one. Cars function best as exclusionary vehicles, as mobile private space. Absolutely. How accurate that is. Cars function best as exclusionary devices, as mobile private space. Even driven as slowly as possible. They still don't allow for the directness of encounter and fluidity of contact that walking does. Medina's car, however, was no longer a vehicle, but an object. He stood beside it to receive compliments, and we walked around it, less as devotees would walk the Stations of the Cross than as connoisseurs would tour a gallery. The Stations of the Cross are themselves one of those cultural things that make made up of many strata laid down upon each other. The first layer is the presumed course of events. The presumed to the laying of his dead body in the tomb in the cave. A walk from Pilate's house to Golgotha. The walk of the pilgrimage. Pilgrims dragged across to Chimayo's dragged crosses to Chimayo imitated. The walk that the pilgrims dragging crosses to Chimayo imitated. During the crusade, pilgrims in Jerusalem would tour the sites of these events, praying as they went, laying down a second layer, a layer of devout retracing that brought pilgrimage close to tourism. In the 14th and 15th centuries, Franciscan friars created the third layer by formalizing formalizing the route as a series of fixed events, the 14th stages, of abstracting from their site. From this tradition came stations of the cross artworks, usually 14 small paintings or prints, running up and down the nave of the church that adorn nearly all Catholic churches. And it is 
an amazing abstraction. No longer is it necessary to be in Jerusalem to trace these events two millennia ago. The time is past, the place is elsewhere, but walking and imagining are adequate means to enter into the spirit of those events. Most of the recommendations on praying the stations emphasize reliving the events of the crucifixion so that it is an act not merely of prayer but of identification and imagination. Christianity is a portable religion and even this route, once so specific to Jerusalem, was exported around the world. A path is a prior interpretation of the best way to traverse a landscape. So I've been walking along a path. A path is a prior interpretation of the best way to traverse a landscape. And so follow a route, and to follow a route is to accept an interpretation, or to stalk your predecessors on it as scholars and trackers and pilgrims do. To walk the same way is to reiterate something deep, to move through the same space, the same way is a means of becoming the same person, thinking the same thoughts. It is a form of spatial theatre, but also spiritual theatre, since one is emulating saints and gods in the hope of coming closer to them oneself, not just impersonating them for others. It's this that makes pilgrimage, with its emphasis on repetition and imitation, distinct amid all the modes of walking. If in no other way one can resemble a god, one can at least walk like one. And indeed, in the Stations of the Cross, Jesus appears at his most human, stumbling, sweating, suffering, sur surf, suffering, falling three times, and dying in the course of redeeming the fall. Jesus appears at his most human, stumbling. Jesus fell the first time. Jesus fell the second time. Jesus fell the third time. Sweating, brow mopped by Mary Magdalene, suffering, scourging at the pillar, crowning with thorns, spears, nails, falling three times and dying in the course of redeeming the fall. Redeeming the fall is about the fall from grace of Adam and Eve who were put in paradise and who became human by eating the, the apple and had to thereby live a life, the kind of life humans have to live, ups and downs, mixed feelings, terrors, pain, Effort. Anyway, that's what the fall is all about. Back to herself. But by the time the Stations of the Cross had become a sequence of pictures in any church, anywhere, devotees were tracing a path that was no longer through a place, but through a story. The Stations are set up all along the nave of churches so that worshippers can walk themselves into Jerusalem, into the central story of Christianity.
this really does remind me of the journey I've had. The journey I've had, probably a journey I'm still on, which one one starting place was in Lourdes and in the in the experience of going to Lourdes with my mother and in the experience of talking to myself while in Lourdes how meaningful I could make all what I saw around me there. And the whole idea that every step was a prayer and how that made sense to me. I never did connect, I suppose, until just now. The fall, the fall from grace of the earth, the fall from paradise, with falling on your knees to say the rosary, falling on the on the path to Calvary. Fascinating. This is really this is good for me to know it exists that somebody has so entered into this world of Christian stories. Oh, there are people coming. There are three people coming. Here Louis. One on a bicycle, cycling ahead. He's not with the other two. He's in. Hello. How are you? How Very well, thanks. Very well. A man in orange and a man in blue. Hi guys. They remind me of the Brownlee brothers. One of the guys had red pink shoes and the other had dark ones. One had orange shirt and the other had blue shirt. Wow. Okay Louis, you can go off again. They were that was chance encounter on the road. Louis, back to here. There are many other devices besides the Stations of the Cross that let people boldly enter a story. I found one last summer. I had a, I had a date to meet some friends for drinks in the famously kitschy old mock Polynesian bar, the Tonga Room in the Fairmont Hotel atop Knob Hill. After walking over Knob Hill, I don't know where Knob Hill is. I guess it might be in San Francisco. After walking over Knob Hill past a grocery store advertising caviar, past a Chinese boy skipping with joy, past the less joyful adults in this posh neighborhood and around the back of Grace Cathedral, I walked through a courtyard where a fountain was playing and a young man was waving a Bible around and mumbling something. At the far side of the space, I saw to my delight something new there labyrinth. In pale and dark cement, it repeated the same pattern made of stone in Shaft Cathedral. Eleven concentric circles divided into quadrants through which the path winds until it ends at the six-petaled flower of the sun. It was early for my rendezvous. So I stopped. Sorry, no. And so I stepped onto the path. The circuit was so absorbing I lost sight of the people nearby and hardly heard the sound of the traffic in the at six o'clock. Inside the labyrinth, the two-dimensional surface ceased to be open space one could move across anyhow. Keeping to the winding path became important and with one's eyes fixed upon it, the space of the labyrinth became large and compelling. The very first length of the path after the entrance, almost reaches the center of the eleven rings, then turns away to snake round and round, nearer and further, 
never so close as that initial promise until the long afterward, when the walker has slowed down and become absorbed in the journey, which even on a maze 40 feet in diameter like this can take a quarter of an hour or more. That circle became a world whose rules I lived by, and I understood the moral of mazes. Sometimes you have to turn your back on your goal to get there. Sometimes you're furthest away when you're closest. Sometimes the only way is the long way. Um, this is so much pleasant, so satisfying to me. Even that last phrase there. Sometimes was it? you're furthest away when you're closest. Sometimes the only way is the long one. I mean, I could sit back and do nothing all day except walk up and down, saying sometimes you're closest when you're furthest away. Sometimes the shortest route is the long one. All right, it says here sometimes the only way is the long one. After that careful walking and looking down, the stillness of arrival was deeply moving. I looked up at last to see that white clouds like talons and feathers were tumbling east in a blue sky. It was breathtaking to realize that in the labyrinth, metaphors and meanings could be conveyed spatially. That when you seem furthest from your destination is when you suddenly arrive. is a very pat truth in words, but a profound one to find with your face. poet Marianne Moore famously wrote of, quote, red toads in imaginary gardens. And the labyrinth offers us the possibility of being real creatures in symbolic space. I had thought of a children's story as I walked. And the children's books that I loved best were full of characters falling into books and pictures that became real, wandering through gardens where the statues came to life and most famously, crossing over to the other side of the mirror, where chess pieces, flowers and animals were alive and temperamental. Alice, through the looking glass. Oh my God, yeah. These books suggested that the boundaries between the real and the represented we're not particularly fixed, and magic happened when one crossed over in such spaces as the labyrinth. We cross over. We are really traveling, even if the destination is only symbolic, and this is an entirely different register than is thinking about traveling or looking at a picture of a place we might wish to travel to. For the real is in this context nothing more or less than what we inhabit bodily. For the real is in this context nothing more or less than what we inhabit bodily. A labyrinth is a symbolic journey or a map of the route to salvation, but it is a map we can really walk on, blurring the difference between map and world. 
If the body is the register of the real, then reading with one's feet is real in a way. Reading with one's eyes alone is not. And sometimes the map is the territory. Reading with one's feet, one's eyes. I'm reminded of a phrase that to describe how I deal with a book. I don't say I read books, I say I consume them. In other words, I eat books. I take books down into my stomach and they're broken down and distributed throughout the body. Some detritus, some stuff is evacuated. In medieval churches, these labyrinths, once common but now existing only in a few churches, were sometimes called Shema as Jerusalem, roads to Jerusalem, and the centre was Jerusalem or heaven itself. Though the historian of mazes and labyrinths, W.H. Matthews, cautions that there is no written evidence on their intended use, it is widely thought that they offered the possibility of compressing a pilgrimage into a compact space of a church floor with the difficulties of spiritual progress represented by the twists and turns. But of course not everybody can go off on a pilgrimage on a, on a long pictorial path. Most people can't. Most people have to stay behind. Where do they get their pilgrimages? The possibility of compressing a pilgrimage into a complex space of a church floor with the difficulties of spiritual progress represented by the twists and turns. At Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, ah, that's where we are, the labyrinth was commissioned by Cathedral Canon Laurent Actress in 1991. Labyrinths, she writes, are usually in the form of a circle as a meandering but purposeful path from the edge to the centre and back out again. Each one has only one path, and once we make the choice to enter it, the path becomes a metaphor for your journey through life. Since then, Artress has stated, has started something of a labyrinth cult, which has trained nearly 130 people to present labyrinth workshops and programmes called the Theatre of Enlightenment even publishing a quarterly newsletter on the Labyrinth Project, including a few pages hawking labyrinth, tote bags, jewellery and other items. Oh, God. Oh, my God. best you can say about that is that it covers the entire spectrum of human desires. Labyrinths as spiritual devices are prolifer proliferating around the country and garden mazes are also undergoing a revival. In the 1960s and 1970s, a very different kind of labyrinth proliferation took place in the work of artists such as Terry Fox, never heard of him, and in the late 1980s, Adrian Fisher became a wildly successful maze designer in Britain never heard of him either. designing and building garden mazes in Blenheim Palace and dozens of other locations. Labyrinths are not merely Christian devices, 